Howdy, Ags. Welcome to Aggie Growth Hacks, the podcast sponsored by the McFerrin Center for Entrepreneurship at Texas A&M, where we help Ags improve their business, connect with other Aggie entrepreneurs, and support one another. I'm your host, Greg Martin, Fighting Texas Aggie Class of 2001. And I'm your co-host, Chris Hunter, Fighting Texas Aggie Class of 1998. Whoop! Well, we got a little story for you, Ags. But Chris, do you know who the greatest bull rider ever to walk the earth is? I have no idea. Who is it? Well, it's today's guest, Dale Brisby, Fighting Text IA class of 2009 and 2011. Dale is a social media genius behind such great accounts as Rodeo Time, and he's the star of the Netflix series, How to Be a Cowboy. So pass it back and listen up to part one of our conversation with Dale as he shares some good bull. Welcome back, Ags. We've got an amazing episode for you today. We have the greatest bull rider to ever walk the earth, Mr. Dale Brisby. Thank you so much for joining us. Appreciate you taking the time and join us on Aggie Growth Hacks. Yes, sir. Glad to be here. Well, we were talking earlier before we started rolling, you know, about AM and how this university it binds us together. Let me ask you, you're a guy that loves to have have a good time, loves to have fun, but is also serious about doing stuff. But what do you miss most about being a student at AM? I mean, shoot, it would probably be, I guess, the same thing everybody says, I imagine, it would be the relationships, you know, the people that we met. And But, you know, I was on the rodeo team and spent a lot of time in Snook out there where they have Chili Fest. Mm-hmm. I, I, ne- I never went during Chili Fest, but, like, I spent a lot of time out there. The guy that owned it, his name was Kermit Moss, or is Kermit Moss. Yeah, so we would practice out there every week, and I, I worked for Kermit a little bit, so... My time at Snook, College Rodeo, you know, Dr. Al, and then just all the friends I met along the way. I mean, just lifelong friends, obviously. Typical college story. The Dixie Chicken. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I, I think, yeah, I mean, it's going to probably be a very typical answer for all the Aggies that come on here, I imagine. Yeah, that's when I really learned. I mean, I, I spent a lot of time rodeoing. You know, in college, as you know, I still do, but but really, just a lot of Saturdays, fr- Thursday, Friday, Saturday, I was I took off, I was on the road, but but yeah, college rodeo was an integral part in shaping it, my rodeo career. Is that something? I mean, were you rodeoing from the time you could walk? Pretty much, my old man. Yeah, we were. My old man grew grew us up around rodeos. He was a rough stock kind of guy, so. In the rodeo arena, it's divided into two parts of the arena. You've got timed events and rough stock. Timed events are like roping, team roping, calf roping, barrel racing, steer wrestling, where your rough stock are bareback, saddle bronc, bull riding, and bullfighting. And so those four things, anything on the rough stock end of the arena is what is what we did. When I say we, my, my brother and I, Leroy. Leroy? So, yeah, Leroy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so that's kind of where... I found myself is behind. That's where I feel at home. Really, is behind the shoots. Yeah, we were riding sheep and then steers, and I've been going ninety since before the war. <laughs> that's awesome. well, I mean, this uh, this this interview is already off the rails, but this we're just <laughs> we're just rolling with it. So, I mean, it, what's the most you've ever gotten hurt? Oh shoot! Well, I mean. You know, there's. we were talking about this the other day. There's injuries in the arena where sometimes you might hit your leg or hit your funny bone, so to speak, where you feel like your leg needs to be amputated and then the next day it's fine and you feel like a sissy. Whereas there's other injuries, like for instance, in Austin at the semifinals, I, I herniated three discs in one ride, and, and I, but I rode great. I didn't know it. Wow. And I didn't realize the injury 
that began to plague me for the months following had happened and ended up having to have backs, two back surgeries and pulled me out of the game for two years. And so it's crazy, you know, there'll be, you know, somebody get knocked out, but they're fine the next day. And whereas, you know, you've got I, collarbone, I broke my collarbone three times, broke my hand, broke my, my nose, broke my, you know, the back injury was the serious one, broke my sternum and then knocked out probably more times than what the NFL would allow me to keep playing. Allow you to play. <laughs> yeah, right. So just kind of your typical rough stock cowboy, but that comes with the territory. So tell us a little bit about rodeo time and how did you start that and where did it all begin? Give us your origin story with that. Oh, you know, I mean, just being the greatest bull rider of all time, I found myself, well, I've always been the class clown. I've always enjoyed making people laugh. And for years, I used to do prank phone calls with people and eventually got a Facebook, eventually got a YouTube. My buddy, who's also an Aggie, Mitch Montgomery, he filmed me in Woodstown, New Jersey. We were in school at the time, but we... uh No, no, no. I'm sorry. I just graduated. But he put the first video on YouTube in 2013. Yeah, I'd say for three years, we really just made videos for fun. I didn't even know how to monetize them on Just YouTube. for y'all? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just, I enjoyed making people laugh. And, and that, they didn't go viral, but, you know, the rodeo community is a small community. So the thousands of views that we did get made the rounds. And so within the rodeo community, it seemed to do well. And so we kept making them. I had found this cap Rodeo time, caps, old school, made in the 80s. Yep. And a man had made those in the 80s. And so I bought the trademark from him. Well, the copyright. He didn't have it trademarked, but I just, essentially, I bought the rights to trademark it from him and made it my brand. Nice. And, uh, and that's been eight years ago. And so that was, it was a really fun way to just describe who we were and, uh, and what we did. It just fit what we were already doing. He hadn't done anything with it since the 80s. So, and, and he'd really, it, it really wasn't a trademark or anything of his. He just threw it on a cap, on a few caps, and then never did it again. But anyway, the point is, is, is uh, we, we turned that into an apparel brand. I've got a lawyer who's, he was my roommate in college, best friends mm-hmm. since, you know, we were 14, and uh, Peyton Holt, he's a good friend of yep. yours, Greg. And he got out of law school about the time we got started. And so he's, he helped me with trademarks. He helped me with, you know, all the paperwork, contracts. And so it's it's great to have, you know, fellow Aggie handling that. But anyhow, I'm getting off topic. I've not told some of these details before. But essentially, we had fun making videos. And I enjoyed making people laugh. That's all I knew. And I realized that if we were to rinse and repeat this system of bringing value to the audience that it would help grow a brand. You know, there were monetary benefits to that through selling merch, through getting growing the apparel brand, I mean, through getting sponsors and then offering a service through our media company. So those are the three main ways that you can make money with what I do. And we did all three. But all of them were built on the foundation of providing quality entertainment to people. So did you have a mentor or how did you pull out or realize that those are the three ways to monetize it just looking and seeing what other people did did you talk with people they all came naturally you know like i've always been a salesman so when i i mean in third grade i was selling we weren't dirt poor 
like we had floors. We they weren't dirt floors, but both my parents were teachers. And so there was there was definitely not excess. So I go to this field trip when I'm in third grade and and there's just not a lot of extra money for me to get, you know. And so I, I but I had these yo-yos I had saved up and I left on this field trip with nothing but yo-yos. I came back, I had, you know, bought my own lunch and I had like $32 or something. Nice. And, uh, nice. I loved it. Loved it as a third grader. And so I would go on to, you know, just always, I was always selling stuff, you know, in college I was even selling vitamins. So I was a salesman, but really with rodeo time, we built the brand long before we sold anything. So you brought value to your people before you even asked for anything. So I say that to say that there was a demand for the product before there was a product. And a lot of people come to the internet and they do the opposite. They're like, all right, well, we want to make money. Okay, well, let's take a screenshot of the website and put it on Instagram. And you got nine followers and seven of them are aunts and uncles and the other two are your parents. And they were like, well, what the heck? You know, and well, you've not brought anybody any value. Nobody really cares that you have bills to pay because they got bills too. So anyway, we grew the brand. We grew demand for the product and that came. And then the sponsors, they call you, you know, when you do it properly. And that's when you get the best deal anyway. I don't hustle sponsors because then you give up the leverage. You know, if I were to call Ford, for instance, hey, I'd really like a truck. They're going to be like, well, you know, supply chain issues, you know, that's Mm -hmm. their tone. And in the back of their mind, they might be thinking, we'd love to have Dale. But their tone is, well, we've got these supply chain issues. Whereas if they call me, I have that tone. And in the back of my head, I might be thinking, I'd love to have a truck. But <laughs> I, actually, I actually wouldn't be thinking that because that's one more thing I've got to sell. Mm-hmm. Like people, yeah. I, get, I get way more offers than I, a lot of people I don't even respond to, not to be mean, but you know, if I told them what I would want to have, they would think I sounded arrogant, which really it's, it's not about, it's not that like, hey, I'm trying to get all this money. It's more about, I value every time I post something to my audience. And even though social media is a time-wasting experience, those people consuming on there, they don't want you to waste their time. And I value that interaction. So the sponsors came. And then we got good at executing these videos and executing the fundamentals to grow the brand. And so then all of a sudden, companies started calling saying, hey, can you do this for us? And that's where the service came in. So I was doing these three things. I didn't necessarily have a mentor because there's just nobody else in the industry doing it. There were a few people in mainstream doing it, but I didn't have any, I didn't have access to them. And, uh, you know, my granddad would even say, well, you know, all these people on their phones and immediately it clicked with me. Well, might as well give them something to watch. And then people were like, well, they're all just kids. Yeah, they're 14, but Heck, in four years, they're going to have a credit card. I'd still like to be in business in four years. You know, that's four years of growing a brand, you know. And then in 10, 12 years, some of them are going to have kids that they want to put a shirt on. And so I I saw these and I I loosely understood these fundamentals. And then I will tell you, a mentor that came along was Gary Vaynerchuk. Yeah. And I'm sure you guys, I mean, everybody's heard of him. (laughs) He's the reason we started the podcast or one of the reasons. Yeah. I'm sure you guys are a fan of him, but I would whoop y'all's butts handily at Gary V Trivia because like (laughs) I study this guy's every move, you know? Yeah. And I latched on to the fundamental. He's just, he's, he's right. And there's a lot of people that follow him, a lot of my competitors, but I guarantee you none of them follow him as closely as I do. None of them execute the way that you do. I mean, because he gives great stuff, but you're not going to execute on it because it's it's hard. 
It's yeah. hard to do what you do. That's yeah. and, and that's why I have a podcast. That's why I do a lot of the things that I do that I wouldn't have wanted to do originally. But I think one of the things that made me respect, you know, the very first piece of content that I saw that Gary Vee put out, I remember it, he, there was a girl interviewing him on the street and she said, which one's more important with social media? Is it quality or quantity? And he immediately said both. And he almost wanted to say, and he said, like, I almost want to tell you quantity is more important. And I resonated with that because so many people today, they want things to be perfect. They want 4K. They want the good lighting. They want that when we've got, you know, these thousand dollar cameras in our pocket that will do, some of them do 6K, you know, and, but for some reason people just, they just don't go. And I had to talk with my team this morning about it. You know, I was just like, guys, we need to spend the time. You're getting paid to spend time on the extra things. Like for instance, subtitles on a 35 second video. But at the same time, don't overthink it. I mean, let's put it out. We've got probably, you know, eight different accounts that we manage now. And it's just like, guys, put out the content. Don't overthink it. You know, if it makes you chuckle or you find it interesting, they will. I know that's a long-winded answer, but you guys are getting into my bread and butter. No, this this is great stuff. You go ahead, Chris, and then I got like eight questions follow up. Yeah, I've got a million freaking questions, man. So... Are you like Gary V that you've got like this team of people following you or is everything done on your phone? Uh, both. You know, there's some things we'll go to where I might go do a trip here and there that I'll do on my phone. But typically, if I book some sort of trip or some sort of appearance, if there's not a way that I could also film it myself and kind of double dip, like I might go to your go to this thing where I'm either going to have a booth or an appearance fee. If I can't make it an interesting trip where I can also get video footage out of it, then I, I typically won't do it unless it's like a really high ROI kind of deal. But I've got five full-time people on the media team. And then my brother, he's he's pretty much full-time, but he's kind of contract. He kind of comes and goes as he plays. It's, it's just like Woodrow and Gus, you know, like yeah. Woodrow, Gus yeah. tells Woodrow, I'm the one man you don't boss, you know, and so... Um, <laughs> I'm sure it annoys the rest of the team, but he's my brother. So, you know, get over it. But so, yeah, so we just, we actually, I went on a, a podcast, not to name drop, but bloop, I went on a podcast a couple of days ago with Marcus Latrell. And so I brought yep. two guys with me and we also ran our cameras and we got oh, some cool. additional content down there while we were there. So, so do we rate those extra cameras right now? He's going to rip our Zoom stuff. He's, he's going to use that. That's right. You know, I almost, yeah. I, I was going to set up an additional one for this, but I yeah. I, thought, I saw you guys are using the Zoom stuff. So I figured we'd go with that. Yeah. We're going to roll right now and have a break and hear a message from our sponsor. So Dale, let, let me ask, so as you're going through, it didn't start out with you and five guys in doing your post-production. So how did you learn that? How did you learn the, the technical part? Right? You know, Gary Vee talks about the creative and the quant and, and understanding the quantitative and, and even being able to produce good videos. And what is this? A, is this an image? Is this a video? Is this a five-second ad? Stuff like that. Well, you know, there, there's two reasons somebody might watch a video. And this is my, my terminology that I've, I've observed. There's production value and there's content value. And you're going to watch National Geographic, you know, and you're going to watch Shark Week. You know, the production value is through the roof, off the charts. Or how to be a cowboy. Right. There you go. Bingo. How to be a cowboy on Netflix. Yep. Well, and I would argue there that it's actually even more the content value for that. 
you guys have probably seen a viral video that's so grainy, you can't really tell if it's a man or a woman doing the task that is so interesting. Well, that's a testament to, you know, like the production value wasn't there, but it was still interesting. And so that's what I'm telling my team. Like now when you can combine the two, like for instance, how to be a cowboy that had great production value and it had great content value. The yes. production value, you know, Netflix demanded that the production value be, you know, so there's a 20 person team here. Well, my first, however many vlogs on my rodeo time episodes on YouTube, I did with my iPhone by myself. I'm the only guy on my media team. And some of them got, I will say this, my most viral video, I had a friend film me that was not getting paid. I had a friend film me on an iPhone and it's, it's still my most viral video. And that's the 67 year old rancher. And, and we remind ourselves of that. People will shoot movies on these things. So the five-person team has come with time and it's come with the extra income that helps support it, you know, those extra clients that have come in. So, and a couple of those are, are interns. They do get paid, but it's, you know, they're not going to retire on that income. But don't allow your lack of having that team stop you from putting content out. I mean, bring value. Like you said, it's, it's either got to be funny, it's got to be educational, because that's what people are looking for. Yeah, or, or motivational. It could just be emotional. It's very simple. For them to be interested, you have to be interesting, period. And then, like I said, if you can add the production value with the content value, well, then, you know, that's just a great fit. But, and you never know. Don't, you can't be the judge and jury. That's another thing that Gary Vee talks about. Like, let the market decide. Because there's been so many videos that we'd put out where we just, and this is going to go viral. Like, I, you know, we're looking at the number like every two minutes, like, and then it doesn't, it tanks. Where on the flip side, you know, we've had videos that sat on a hard drive for three months just because we forgot about them. We weren't excited about them and we finally post them and they just go off the charts again. So let the market decide what's great and what's not. Yeah, the thumbnails on YouTube matter. The title matters. For some reason right now, everybody is super infatuated with Donnie's gambling problem. And when we put that on, you know, there's been three podcasts where it's like, all right, here's an update on Donnie's gambling problem. Well, I mean, he doesn't actually have a problem. It's just a funny story. Right. Well, people flock to that and they want to hear about Donnie's hilarious Vegas gambling. And so there are some details that matter and you'll figure those out as you go what's the opening clip of your 12 minute YouTube going to be to set up for the rest of the 12, you know, people's attention spans are quick. So those are nuances. Those are things that just come with the territory that you can learn. But Hey, here's the other thing. You don't have to learn them on your own. You can literally type in YouTube or Google. They're the same thing. How do I make an interesting video? And 1 million videos will pop up of suggestions on how to make an interesting video. So let's say that you weren't the super rodeo star, right? The best bull rider in the entire world, right? Let's say that you're, in your mind, the best veterinarian in the entire world, right? Would you have done this the same way? Would, would, would you have put out the same kind of content and really grown a complete personal brand around yourself? Like, how would have that have played out if you, if you were in a different profession? It's hard to say, I'm trying to wrap my mind around your question, but essentially you've got to be yourself. You know, you've got to be authentic and people can sniff through it if you're not. Now, I'm not saying you can't try something new. For instance, if you wanted to become a professional bass fisherman 
and you had no idea how to how to fish or put a worm on a hook, so to speak. Well, you know, you would need to learn that. And what what you would need to do is document through the learning process. But essentially, you just want to be honest. And if you mm-hmm. tell people this is your truth, then all of a sudden they'll pick up on that and they can't argue with that. Now, if I were to say, I want to learn how to ranch, I want to learn how to ride a horse. And then I were to say all those things, you know, people can sniff through, you know, it's one thing if, if there's comedy involved, but there's another thing if you're legitimately just proclaiming to be something that you're not. Mm-hmm. So I think being authentic is very important. Those veterinarians, you know, God bless them. That's just a whole nother area of the industry that I, I personally wouldn't go to. Man, I just had to be, I, that's the thing. It's easy for me to give God glory for where I'm at in life. Where I'm at in life is not that impressive to anyone other than myself because I know how little I had then. So I don't have more than a lot of people. I have more than what I had. And that's all I'm saying when I say that. But I know that what I do have is thanks to God. And I can look back and, and look at, you know, I was a class clown. I was a state officer in the FFA that gave me speaking abilities and, and kind of helped dissolve that fear of being on camera. You know, my college roommate was is now my lawyer. You know, Lisa that manages my warehouse the way I met her. All the people that have come into my life to make this possible mixed with my personality traits were a gift from from God. And so I think if I were to, I never would have planned that this was going to be my profession. But if I were to give advice to someone looking to do the same thing, that's that's where I would go to. I would say, you got to be authentic with who you, you got to have some self-awareness. And that's a big thing that Gary Vee preaches, is self-awareness. Well, Dale, what, what I love about that is one, that, that you do give glory to God, but then two, you you also are looking through, like, look, this is this is just who I am. And this is how God made me. These are the experiences that shaped me and created me to be who I am. And I'm going to use that. I'm going to lean into that. Whether that be you as a rancher or a bull rider or whatever, or veterinarian. I mean, if there's a veterinarian that's, that is sitting there and is passionate about helping people understand their pets and serve their pets better, then if they've got the ability and the desire to share that content, then they're going to be authentic about that. But they won't be a Dale. And that's okay. Right. hundred percent. If they tried to be, it just wouldn't last long. It wouldn't taste good. You know, a hundred percent. Like you, you gotta be you, you know, like I've got a veterinarian friend that's an, that's an Aggie that I rodeoed with. His name's Aaron Lied and he started a practice. He's got one in, in Waco, I believe. And his wife, they, she was, they were on the rodeo team and she was a barrel racer. He was a bronc rider and hilarious individual. But if he tried to do what I did, it would be a disservice to the world because the world would deserve the actual Aaron Lodd. That's what they need. Mm-hmm. They don't need Aaron Lodd trying to be Dale Brisby. They need Aaron mm-hmm. Lodd. That's how I would feel about anybody, you know, trying to tackle this endeavor. Well, Dale, let's kind of go back to rodeo time. And in the last couple of years have been really challenging for a lot of entrepreneurs that are out there. What's the biggest challenge that you've had, you know, the last couple of years and how are you hacking it? How are you overcoming it? Um, I mean, it's hard right now to talk about what retail and apparel and really any industry and not when you hear the word challenge, it's hard to, to, to say that and not think about supply chain issues. And so that's the biggest thing that we're trying to, you know, like, I think, I think every entrepreneur probably at some point will think about cash flow. Keith Maddox and Keith Mundy of American Hats told me a long time ago, you know, it's like, he used to think sales were king, but cash flow is actually king. And so I've tried to 
maintain that mantra. But more than that, right now, you're not going to have sales or cash flow if you don't have a product. And so I think being creative with how you pivot and, and work around those kind of things are important. Um, they're lessons that I'm learning. I would say the biggest issue with what I do now that I, I didn't see coming is managing people. When you're going to be an entrepreneur, when you're going to be number one at the top, you know, you've got to take responsibility for everything. And I'm a people person. I, I love to I get along with people. I think for the most part, I'm forgiving of when people do things wrongfully to me. When I'm, I'm, uh, I'm quick to say I'm sorry, I think. But none of that, I mean, it does. It is important, but, but it doesn't just keep you from having problems in a company. And the more people you throw into a, a building, the more problems you're going to have. You know, we've got 16, 17 employees here. And yeah, some of them have bad days. And some of them make mistakes and occasionally you got to let them go. And that's one thing, you know, talking about Gary Vee, hiring is guessing, firing is knowing. But having the courage to know the difference. Yes, yes, sir. And so me not being a confrontational person at all, like I've never wanted to fire somebody, like, you know, I've had to. And and and, and then that there's ways that you can get creative if, if there's somebody you don't want to fire, you know, and, and, you know, just give them an uncomfortable severance if you need to. But then there's there's some situations where if you've got your priorities in line, sometimes they'll make it black and white and it's just the easiest thing in the world. Hey, I'm sorry, you can't do this. We gotta anyway. I would say that was that's been I, I don't want to call it a challenge because Gary Vee, you know, he talks about I'm gonna echo him a lot, you know, and I, I do it I do it without shame, you know, but he you know Exactly. I mean Yeah. Uh, bo- bo- all three of us really appreciate. And I mean, I value him. I, I, I don't know him, but I mean, I truly value what he's spoken into our life. I mean, I, you got a banker and a marketer mm-hmm. on a podcast. I mean, yeah. yeah, you know, we wouldn't be here without him. And he's a businessman. He's an entrepreneur. And that's what you guys are. And so, but he said, uh, you know, he calls himself a firefighter. And so if you're going to be a CEO, if you're going to be an entrepreneur, you have to welcome problems. And so I try to, yeah. people are always hesitant to talk to their boss, no matter how welcoming you are. If you're going to your boss, you either need something or you have a problem. Typically, rarely are you going to go in there and just, you know, get, so being a boss, you need to be welcoming of those problems. If your employee has a, a, a need, then it's your need. If your employee has a problem, it's your problem. So personal or not. And so you've got to have an open mind and, and, and be welcoming when they bring those things to you. I try to remind these guys, like, hey, bring those things to me. So you've got to take on where the, 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 you know, the firefighter uniform daily. And if you're not good at doing that, then you may not be a good entrepreneur. You might need to be a number two somewhere. And that's okay. Yeah, yeah and that's fine. Yeah. I mean, he, he, he's got, you know, he says number 17 at Facebook is probably doing pretty all right. Yeah. So Lisa, my, my warehouse manager, single mom, five kids, a couple of them are grown and out of college, but no one will outwork this woman. And she has invested into this company. She's grown to be more than an employee, but she's more of a partner than anything. She's completely okay with being number two, you know, at five o'clock. Hey, we'll see y'all later. You know, she works past five all the time, but Essentially, she's going to go enjoy her time with her friends, but but she's she's forty four, and so she was in business and working for a business in two thousand eight, and so she was around when people were getting punched in the mouth. Mm-hmm. Where yeah. you know, there's a lot yeah. of twenty seven, twenty eight year olds that are entrepreneurs that they've not been punched in the mouth. Yeah, yeah. 
I say she's got, I say that just to say she's got that perspective. She knows what it's like out there. She's like, hey, you run it. You take the weight of it. I'll be number two and it'll still be better for me in the end. Absolutely. I mean, this world wouldn't be good with all those CEOs or chiefs, right? Too many chiefs out there would never get anything done because us CEOs, we're good at thinking about things. We're not good at actually doing the things, right? Well, how about that, Ags? That was super awesome. I can't believe how many value bombs that Dale dropped there. I know I have become a super fan of super his fan. at this point. Yeah. So join us next week when we wrap up part two of this interview with the greatest bull rider to ever walk the earth, Dale Brisby. Well, Ags, that's going to wrap it for this episode of Aggie Growth Hacks. We hope that you enjoyed it and that you, we hope that you check out Dale Brisby on literally any social media platform. <laughs> While you're on the web, Chris and I hope that you connect with us and with Aggie Growth Hacks. Be sure to check out our Facebook group as well as aggiegrowthhacks.com where you can listen to previous podcasts and check out some of our other content. Aggie Growth Hacks was produced by fellow Aggies over at Podcast Architects. We want to give a huge shout out also to our sponsor, the McFerrin Center for Entrepreneurship at Texas A&M University. Since 1999, the McFerrin Center for Entrepreneurship has served as the hub of entrepreneurship for Texas A&M. If you're an Aggie entrepreneur or even a wantrepreneur, head over to their website now to find a program that's right for you. Just go over to the aggiegrowthhacks.com forward slash McFerrin right now. Join us next time when we wrap up this episode with Dale Brisby and learn how he hacked his growth. Until then, I'm Chris Hunter. And I'm Greg Martin. Thanks and gig'em. Whoop! <laughs>